All right. Good morning, Dorisville. It is great to be in the house of the Lord. Do you all appreciate our choir? Was that night totally awesome? Would you praise the Lord for them? I am very grateful for them. I'm grateful for the worship service this morning. I was trying to think back in my head if David and I had had a chance to really sit down and talk. But if we didn't, you thought we would. But that's the Holy Spirit just working things out, how he does that. Well, we've been on a journey for the last four weeks. Someone's making comment about the road signs this week during the week somewhere. And, you know, we've been on a journey. The road signs indicate that we've been on a journey. It's been a journey to discover God in a deeper and a greater way. And it was taken from Isaiah chapter 6, verses 1 through 8. And we talked about some W's. Now, I'm going to walk you through it again this morning because I want you to remember it, all right? First off this, we saw the prophet Isaiah, and he had a... Whoa experience, W-H-O-A, he was going through life, going through his deal with God, and God caused something to happen in the death of a king that caused him to stop, like Moses in the burning bush, turning and see the bush, and saying, look, I must turn aside and see what this thing is, a bush that does not burn up. So everybody says, whoa, yeah, whoa, and then after that, he stopped, and the Bible says he saw God in all his majesty, in all his praise, and that caused him to go, wow. That's right, and you, let me tell you something. When you get into the presence of holy God, you will be wowed. If you can go into what you call the presence of God and not be affected and not be changed, I don't know where you've been, but you've not been in the presence of holy God. And then when that happened, though, Isaiah saw himself in a new and different light. He saw things in his life that he had overlooked. Now, remember, Isaiah is a prophet. He's a preacher, if you will. And as he did this, he saw all kind of defects in his life, things that were offensive to a holy God. And so he cried out, whoa, everybody say, whoa. Whoa. And then he he was cleansed by holy God. And we have what we call W the factor. You've heard W the president. This is W the factor. And basically it was a response of, God, what can I do? Where can I go? And when do you want me to do it? Say W the factor. And that was our journey through the book of Isaiah, or chapter 6 of Isaiah 1 through 8. And then I was doing my quiet time about three or four weeks ago, and I stumbled upon this powerful scripture, and they were going to look at, in Psalm 50, and saw instantly, they'd be a great epilogue, a great follow-up to the journey. So today we have journey, the epilogue. And once again, we saw the psalmist, we see the psalmist in this case, being pulled aside by God. But remember this, last time, it was the death of a king. But this time, the setting is totally different. This time, we see God summoning us to a courtroom. We see him calling us. He is the judge, and we are to stand before him, and he wants to bring an accusation against us that I think you're going to find very interesting before the morning's over. And once again, we won't be able to do all the sermon today. I hope you'll take that last part and you'll, you'll examine it on your own later on. But we're going to look at the first couple of points there today as we enter the courtroom of God. Now, if you've ever been in a court, I've only been in a courtroom a couple of times. Unfortunately, none of them were things that were bad on my part. But I noticed this, and I've watched it on television, that when the judge comes into the room, the bailiff will cry out and say, all rise. So as we enter the courtroom today of God, I would like to say, please, all rise. 
We're going to take a moment and read Psalm 50. We're going to go all the way down to verse number 15. Allow me to read the word of God to you. God, the Lord God, speaks. He summons the earth from east to west. From Zion, the perfection of beauty, God appears in radiance. Our God is coming. He will not be silent. Devouring fire precedes him, and a storm rages around him. On high, he summons heaven and earth in order to judge his people. Gather my faithful ones. Another translation says, gather my saints to me. Those who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God is the judge. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or for your burnt offerings, which are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your household or male goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and everything in it is mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer sacrifice a thanks offering to God and pay your vow to the Most High. Call on me in a day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. Let's pray together. Father, as we come into the courtroom today, Father, I want to pray just as if we were in the courtroom that we pay careful attention to every detail as you speak to our hearts. Father, you are summoning us to yourself to a deeper and a closer relationship with you. Holy Spirit, we acknowledge today that only you can initiate change in people's lives. Whether it be a calling to salvation or a calling to sanctification does not matter. Only you can draw people to yourself. And that is my prayer today. Father, we've had a long week. Father, in many ways we are tired and it would be a natural tendency for us to not, Father, pay careful attention today. Yet, Father, realize that it is not a man speaking, but it is the word of God speaking today. Help us to listen. Help us to respond. And Jesus, I pray this in your precious name. Amen. And all God's people said, amen. And you may be seated. The first thing we want to look at today is the fact that God reigns. God reigns. Here's what the word of God says. God the Lord God speaks. Now, in the Holman Christian Standard, and not, in fact, it's just in the study Bible that you've given me, Judy, the word Yahweh, the word there for God is Yahweh. And it's unusual because Yahweh was the name for God that the nation of Israel came up with. They felt the name of God was so holy that it could not be spoken. So using consonants instead of vowels, they came up with this word Yahweh, and that was their name for God. And so Yahweh, the God of God, speaks. Now, that's, that's just Paul's here. Because I know the natural tendency is to say, okay, Dwayne, Yahweh, the God of God, speaks. But remember this. He's not only speaking to the nation of Israel. I am not derelict at all in the Word of God today by calling this psalm to our attention in the 21st century. This psalm speaks to our hearts just like it should have spoken to the nation of Israel 
2,100 years ago, or actually 3,000 years ago. So God, our God, Yahweh God, the God of gods is speaking. Now, there are times we often, our children won't speak, uh, won't listen to our, our parents, our moms, our dads. Often people won't listen to us. But I'm guaranteeing you very frequently, now sometimes in defiant rebellion, a defendant will totally ignore the judge. But generally speaking, when the judge speaks, people listen. And God is calling us to listen to himself today. God, the Lord God, speaks. Now, notice this. It's very interesting. Look at verse number one. He summons the earth from east to west. Literally, it translates this way. He summons the earth from sunrise to sunset. He summons the earth. Now, not the people of the earth. He summons creation from the sunrise to the sunset. Look down at verse number four. On high, he summons heaven and earth to judge in order to judge his people. So he summons heaven and earth so he may judge his people. Look at the last part of verse number six. The heavens proclaim his righteousness for God is judge. And so here we have God three different times in this courtroom summoning all of creation to call attention to who he is. We know in Psalm 19:1 that the Bible says that the heavens declare, say declare, the heavens declare the majesty of God. And the problem is this. You see, sometimes creation is wiser than us. You see, sometimes all that we see around us is so much wiser than the ones that God created. Because heaven and earth declares the glory of God. And guess who does not? Very frequently, we, his people, do not. And you're going to see that is the charge that God brings against his people. God wants us to, like heaven and earth, proclaim. Do you remember what Luke chapter 19, I believe it is, records? Jesus was entering Jerusalem. He's entering in, and everybody's going, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed be the name of the Lord. And the religious people, they said, Tell your disciples to be quiet. You know what Jesus said? If I were to tell those people to be silent, even the rocks would cry out. I am trying to tell you today that God, Yahweh God, the God of God, is so awesome that praise cannot be withheld Him. If we, God's people, do not praise Him, heaven and earth and creation will. He refuses to be denied his praise. Church, we've got to learn this. It is not three songs and offering and go home. Every time we gather ourselves in this worship center, our primary focus should be the worship of God Almighty. So here we have him saying, God, the Lord of hosts, speaks. He summons earth. Um, he summons heaven and earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness. And then verse number two. From Zion, the perfection of beauty, God appears in radiance. And Zion, of course, is the holy city. From Jerusalem, he radiates in glory. Just like Isaiah in chapter 6 saw the Lord high and lifted up. So the psalmist proclaims the fact, God speaking really about himself, and says, I am worthy of radiance to be high and to be lifted up. And then verse 3, notice it shifts person. Our God is coming. 
The judge is about to step into the courtroom. Our God is coming. He is summoning us today. October the 31st, 2010. God is coming. And look what he says. He will not be silent. He will not be silent. So often the noise of the world drowns out the voice of God to us. So often our own involvement in religion drowns out the voice of God. So often our business and our activities drowns out the voice of God. The psalmist says he will not be silent. He is going to speak today and he will be heard. Our God is coming. He will not be silent. Devouring fire precedes him. I told the Judgment House groups, several of the ones that I got to speak to on Wednesday, Thursday and Friday nights, that there's a picture of God and that is we portray a God of love. And please hear me. He is all of that. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But there is a wrath side of God that is there, too. When it comes, and I told him very frankly, and I will tell you this today, that should you die without Jesus Christ, you will face the full wrath of God as you are condemned eternally to a place called hell. Why, Dwayne? Why? What kind of God would send people to hell? He does not send people to hell. Your unforgiveness sends you to hell. God loved you enough to make a provision for you, but if you choose to reject that, then you will be eternally stuck and you will experience the full wrath of God. But here's the deal. This idea of devouring fire is speaking of his holiness. In fact, over in Hebrews, the Bible says our God is a consuming fire. Fire purifies. When you're out in the campground, you cut yourself. You stick the knife into the fire to kill the germs before you lance the wound. It's a holiness of God. And God, listen, I am convinced today that God is calling us back into his holiness. He, he, listen, listen, he don't want just church. He, he doesn't want us just to show up at 1015 on a Sunday morning, sing a few songs and hear a message and go home and then come back at six and do it all over again. And just for fun, do it on Wednesday night too. He wants us to recognize this morning that I am Yahweh. I am God of gods. And I am the God who loves you. And I am the God who cares for you. But see me in my holiness. Church, the, the church in America today desperately needs to see God in His holiness. Take even a casual reading of the Old and New Testament shows clearly that God, Jesus Christ, is more than a fire escape. God is more than just this loving God. He is a God of creation, of all power. But He's a God who's holy, first and foremost. A devouring fire. And then He says this, a storm rages around him. When you think of storms, you think of power. So we see God in his holiness and we see God in power. Listen, he is not just a God. Just like Jesus when he said, I am the way, the truth and life. He didn't say I am a way. He said, I am the way. And in Psalm 23, the David, when David said the Lord is, he didn't say a shepherd. He didn't even say the shepherd. He said, the Lord is my shepherd. And God is saying, I am holy. 
And I am a powerful, powerful God. And then he says it. I am your God. I am your God. How amazing is that? Verse 4, we already read on high. He summons heaven and earth in order to judge his people. Gather my faithful ones. Say, my faithful ones. This is so cool. I, love, I think it's the New King James, or perhaps the Old King James, and it rightly translates that, gather my saints. You say, well, Dwayne, I'm not very saintly. Let me tell you something. If you know Jesus Christ today, you are a saint of God. Now, you may not be living saintly, but God declares you through the blood of Jesus Christ that you are a saint. That's why Paul could address the most carnal church in the New Testament, the church at Corinth, and say, to the saints. Say, I'm a saint. Now, we've got to talk about, are we going to live saintly? Saintly, right, St. Brent? All right, bud. All right. He summons heaven and earth in order to judge his people. Gather my faithful ones to me. Watch. Those who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. Back in Exodus 24, if you read there, he talks about the covenant of this words, talking about the law of God. And he's saying, Israel, you, one of the ways you come into covenant with me is by keeping my word. And that's what the word sacrifice means. We have a covenant with God. If we know Jesus Christ as Savior, we are in covenant with God. The new covenant made possible by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. When he died on the cross, he took our place on the cross. He died for our sins. And God says, call my saints together. Those who have experienced the forgiveness of their sins by the blood of of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says, the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for God is the judge. Say, here comes the judge. Here comes the judge. Now, again, I know you're tired and you say, well, okay, all right. Man, you need to get this. Somehow, if I could, if I could portray it on the image of a screen, if I could do a mind melt thing and portray it to you, we have got to see who God is today. So he can reach down from heaven and change our hearts. And here's what God says. Look at verse number seven. Listen, my people. Listen, my saints, and I will speak. And when I speak, I'm going to testify against you, Israel. And I really believe without bending the word of God, we could easily talk about the church today. God's chosen people. I will testify against you, church. I am God, your God. Now, that ought to just stir your heart. God says, because you know what he said? He just said this. He just said, I'm going to testify against you, but I am your God. Aren't you glad we've got a God that says, even when you're not living exactly like you should, I'm still your God? Aren't you glad we have a God today who doesn't say, when you fail, you're out? Aren't you glad we have a God today of the second chance, the third chance, the fourth chance? And how can He do that? Dwayne, still be holy. It's called grace, friend. It's called mercy, friend. It's called what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. I'm glad God said, even though I've got something against you and speak to you about today, that I'm still your God. And friend, if God gets a hold of your heart today, and I hope he will, I hope he will, that your life, he's not rejecting you. He's still your God. He said, I'm your God. Here's what he said. I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices or for your burnt offerings, 
which are continually before me. God says this. The problem is not the ritual. He goes, you are faithfully going to the temple. You're bringing the doves. You're bringing the oxen. You're bringing the goats faithfully. And those are being sacrificed to me. The problem is not the ritual that you're going through. To us today, he would say something like this. The problem isn't your church stuff. He said he would tell us today, you've got the church thing largely down, Dorisville. You've got the church thing largely down. You do church three times a week. You do Judgment House. You do Blessing Baskets. You do Operation Christmas Child. You do Back to School Giveaway. You do the Christmas Extravaganza. You've got church down pretty good. And and Dave Nave or Brent would tell you that Judgment House did not happen with five people. I think probably closer to a hundred folks worked throughout the week in Judgment House. And so he would say, the problem's not your service. The problem's not that you're not willing to serve. Now, some of y'all need to serve. I don't think God saves you to sit. I think He calls you to serve. And some of y'all do serve. But by and large, God would say today, Dorsville, the problem's not you're not serving. In fact, He'd probably say the problem's not giving. By the grace of God, we're ahead of budget this year when many churches are behind budget. So God would say, by and large, many of the people, you are giving, so the problem's not giving. So God, I don't, I don't understand then. If, if the problem's not the church thing, and God, if the problem is not the serving thing, if the problem is not the giving thing, then God, what thing is it? And he would respond, I'm glad you asked. The problem was, as you're fixing to see, is that Israel was confused. Somehow Israel, through the church thing and through the giving thing and through the serving thing, had figured out that God needed them and instead of they needed God. Somehow they got it twisted around where God had to have their sacrifices. And that God had to have their gifts. Or else, if not, somehow he would be deficit. Church, we've got the same problem. We approach this church thing as if, okay, God, if, if we, listen, we're your A-team. And if we don't get it done, God, then we guess you just lose. God, if I don't give, then somehow this deficit and you're going to lose. If I don't serve God, the ministry won't get done. Now, I'll tell you this. We could shut doors still down. I've seen churches where people get mad and say, well, I'm just going to keep my offerings. Well, you ain't got none to keep in the first place. It's all God's. I've seen, I've seen churches suffer because people got mad and kept their offering. I've heard people get puffed up and say, well, I just won't. We could shut down. I won't serve. We could shut Dorsfield down. But do you think God's kingdom's going to stop because Dorsfield gets shut down? 
I just went out, oh, if I don't do it right, God. God said, well, it doesn't matter if you do it right or not. You think my kingdom depends on some puny preacher? You think it depends on some small group of people? You think I'm so limited that I'm such a small God that the job won't get done if you don't do it? Woo. Doggone, God, that hurts. Yeah, it does. But you know what? It's the truth, folks. It's the truth. Now, I want you to look how God responds. Just so you'll know I'm not preaching to you something I came up with. Because once he says, he says in verse number 8, I do not rebuke you for your sacrifices because you're doing that, or for your burnt offerings which are continually before me because you're doing that. Now, watch he says. He goes, I tell you what, I will not accept a bull from your household or male goats from your pens. I just won't take them. Just keep them. And then you go, oops, there's a problem. For every animal of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. You see, when you give that offering, he says, you're giving what's already mine. See? It's kind of like I pause for a joke here real quick. These young whippersnapper, you know, scientists in today's modern age, they called up God. And said, God, we done figured out how to create life. So we just want to take you on. Me and you. Let's, let's just see who can do life. And God says, that's fine. And he goes, tell you what, we'll just start with dirt the way you did. And God says, that's fine. So the scientist went to reach down and pick up a handful of dirt to start. And the scientist says, uh-uh. Or God said, uh-uh. Get your own. We can't create dirt, folks. Those, those bulls and those cattle, they're not, they're all mine. But, but God, you understand, it's my money. No, it's not. It's my time. No, it's not. It's my talent. No, it's not. It's all God's. It's all God's. He says, in fact, I know every bird of the mountains and the creatures of the field are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you. You know why? Because he owns the food. If he turned to children of Israel and said, yeah, I'm hungry, can you fix me something? And they would go to God's kitchen to fix it. God says, if I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you because guess what? I own all the food. You have nothing of yourself that you can offer me. Do I eat the flesh of bulls? Or drink the blood of goats? Do you think somehow that I am sustained by your sacrifices? And what's the answer? No. If you're to stop tithing tomorrow, God's going to get the job done. If you say, I'm just too busy to serve, we'd miss you. But God's going to get the job done. If church after church after church gets closed today or decides to close today, guess what? God's still going to get the job done. Because God is bigger than us. Come on. God is bigger than us. Amen. God's bigger than us. See, Israel didn't realize that. They shifted gears. And the church today is in the same boat. So what does God want? God won't. Look at verse 14. It's so powerful. It's not even cloudy either. It's clear. Sacrifice a thank offering to God and pay your vows to the Most High God. God says, I don't need your bulls. I, I, don't, I don't need your goats. If I was hungry, I don't need your food. But here's what I want. Here's what I desire. Are your ears open? 
I want your authentic worship. I want you. I created you to have fellowship with me. And I created you. Yes, the angels worship. But I want a creature of free will to come into my presence and worship. I want you to offer gifts of thanksgiving and gratitude. I want you to worship me. And believe me, guys, listen, he is not, Bill, he's not talking about singing three songs and the choir singing a song and doing the sermon thing and going home. He's talking about us coming into his presence with a hunger to say, thank you, God. Someone asked, I, I was talking to a guy before church, a good friend of mine, and I said, how you doing, buddy? He goes, I, I'm a little dizzy. I said, no, brother. I said, you're redeemed. You're blood bought. And you're never going to hell. I said, how are you? He goes, I'm a little dizzy. I said, no, you missed it. I said, you're redeemed. You're blood bought. And you're not going to hell. Now, how are y'all today? Say, I'm redeemed. I'm blood bought. We're not going to hell. It's a good day. It's a good day. It's a good God wants our authentic worship. He doesn't want a bunch of people who keep the rules, who go through the roads, who go through the ritual, who do their thing week in, week out and say, I'm spiritual. He just wants some people who will raise their hearts and your couple will raise your hands and say, God, I love you. And I'm so thankful I worship you. But then he says this. He says in verse 15, call on me. Say, call on me. Call on me in a day of trouble and I will rescue you and you will honor me. He says, now watch now, stay with me. I want authentic worship. I want authentic dependence. Now I told you before, we're leaving Tuesday for West Africa. And for the believers in West Africa, this is not an issue. Because they're not even sure where the next meal's coming from. So they need to depend on God. It's God or nothing. The problem is in America, we have so much. Most of us are reasonably sure that there's a paycheck coming the next week or the next week and that we can go down to Kroger or to Walmart or whatever store in town and we can buy our food and we'll have our meal. And the danger is that becomes our dependence. As long as you realize who gave you the job, who gave you the talent, who gave you the help to do the job, as long as you keep that in your focus, you're okay. But when we start saying, I have, we're not dependent on God. And God says, I want you to call on me. I want you to begin each day and say, God, I need you. God, please help me. Hey, 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 God, God, if you don't do it in my life, it's not going to happen. It's, it's you or nothing, God. There is no plan B. It's you, God. You're the A plan, God. That's what he wants. And that is so cool. If I told you today that, that, that God demanded 90% of your income, you'd be going, oh, man, well, I can't do that. How many, how many of y'all can authentically worship God? Raise your hands. How many? Come on. Let me say it again. You didn't hear me. How many of you are capable of authentically worshiping God? Worshiping God. Okay, yeah, yeah, you can, if you're a believer. 
How many of you can't authentically depend on God? Yeah. 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 That's what he calls us to. And as we worship him and depend on him, there's that vision that Isaiah saw. There's that intimacy that we talked about in prayer. And God takes on a whole different meaning for us. When we're willing to say, God, I love you. And God, I need you. Now, I want to take us a little bit further down the road. Jump with me about 1,700 years to Revelation and chapter 2. To Revelation and chapter 2. Now we're under the New Covenant. Now we're in the New Testament. And there's a parallel passage that God's Word gives us to help us in the church age. Because some of you, I know some of you are going, Oh, Dwayne, that's a psalm. Everybody knows it's just a Jewish hymn book. Well, it's the Word of God. But I'll give you that because we're going to Ephesians chapter 2. Verse number 1. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write, These things says he who holds the seven stars, and we won't get into that because of time, the seven stars in his right hand, and who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. Now watch this. I know your works. You are a church of activity. You are a church that does. My problem is not that you're not doing. Dorisville, First Baptist, Little Chapel, McKinley, First Presbyterian or Methodist. I know your works. I know your labor. I know your testimony, your patience. And that you cannot bear those who are evil. I I know that you're out there and you're going to vote on Tuesday. And you're going to vote the Bible as the voter guide. You can't stand the evil you see in America. I know that, he says. And, and And you who have tested those who say they're apostles are not and found to be liars. I'm proud of the fact that you that you evaluate teachers that if their teaching lines up with the word of God or not, that's good. You have persevered. You did judgment house for three nights and stayed till 10, 11 o'clock at night. He says, none of you persevered. You have patience and have labored for my name's sake and not become weary or tired. Pretty close parallel with Psalm 50. The problem wasn't the sacrifices or the offerings. He says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Now, what are the parallels of first love? I would say first love is when you meet Jesus, after you fully have received his forgiveness, the thing you want to do most is say, Jesus, I love you. Am I right? Jesus, I love you. So that's a first love. All right? I authentically worship you. God, I love you. I think a first love would be this. Once you follow Jesus Christ as Savior, it's to say, God, I need you. That's a first love. That's dependence. Authentic worship and authentic dependence. And God's Word says you've let that. You worship other things without even hardly knowing it. You worship staff. You worship denominations. You worship schedules. You worship personalities. You worship yourself. 
You've left your first love. You're not dependent on me. The only time you're dependent on me is when there's something that you can't handle. When the doctor says, terminal cancer, I'm dependent, God. When the, the heartbeat stops and death comes of a loved one, I'm dependent, God. When the paycheck stops, I'm dependent, God. God says, I want that dependence. But I don't want to be the air you breathe. I want to be the air that you breathe. I want to be the first thing you think about. You know, I don't know about your life and whatever, but you know, when you're, particularly when you're first married, you wake up and you look right in the bed over there and you go, boy, I'm a lucky man. The first thought in the morning is your new bride. And if you're not careful, down the road, you wake up and go, whew, bad breath. You've left your first love. And, and guess what? What does Psalm 50 say? I want you to authentically worship me. I want you to authentically depend on me. And look what he says, and, and, you know, 1,700 years later. He says, remember. Say remember. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. Turn back. Repent and do what? The first works. The first works. Is your marriage in trouble today? Has it lost its zip? You have to put the zip back in your marriage? Remember your first works. Guys, the way you want her is the way you keep her. Oh, yeah, time. This may be chasing a rabbit. But I feel like we need a little marriage help today. Pastor, I don't understand my wife. I provide a good home for her. She doesn't want for anything. I make sure she wears designer clothes. I make sure that she's got a car to drive. I make sure that she's got the rock of rocks on her left hand. And my plan next year is to upgrade her again. And I got a million dollars worth of life insurance. And should I die, she's fixed for life. And your wife is so unhappy. You know why? Your wife may appreciate that, but she desperately needs your love. And love does not necessarily equate to a house and a car and clothes, and a rock, and a life insurance policy. She wants intimacy with you, sir. She wants intimacy. She wants to know she matters to you. And guess what? So does God. So does God. Remember the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. He's not saying you'll lose your salvation. You'll lose your place of service. You'll lose your witness. You'll lose your testimony. The court is in the room. Or the judge is in the courtroom today. He says, I will not be silent. Church in the 21st century, I will not be silent. I will speak. You're doing a great job. You're busy. You're serving. You're giving. You're doing church. But from my heart I cry out, God would say, I need your authentic worship. Because that is why I created you. 
And one of the primary reasons I saved you was to worship me in free will. I want you to depend on me. I want to be your plan A. I want you to wake up in the morning and say, God, if you don't do it, no, it won't get done. I cry out for that today. And I tell you what. Again, if God had left, asked my right arm, I'd say, but God. When I think about this sermon and the way God speaks in His Word, worship, independence, is not the God who sent His Son worthy of that? Is not the God who saved you from hell worthy of that? And you know what? Sometimes it's easier to give your money. Sometimes it's easier to serve. Sometimes it's easier to do church. But we will miss why we were created. Would you bow your heads right there? Well, saints, what do you think of that? What do you think of that? Now, when that husband comes in my office, and invariably it is my office, they'll say, but Dwayne, I don't understand. I, I'm doing, I'm doing, I'm, and I would give the spiel about the wife needing emotions and, and intimacy and all of that. And Satan would be whispering right now, if I was the devil, I'd be whispering in the saint's ear, but you're doing, you're doing, you're giving, you write the tithe check. Does he know that? Does he know what you give? No, by the way. Does he know how many hours you spend in judgment house? See, that's what the devil would be whispering right now in my ear if I was listening instead of talking. Would you listen to the other voice? Bring an offering of thanksgiving to me. Call on me. I'll rescue you. And then you will honor me. You will honor me. It's a simple decision. You know, sometimes we preachers give long solutions. Read your Bible 25 minutes a day. Pray for an hour. Do this, do that. Do, 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 do. This isn't one of those messages. This would be a message that says, okay, God, I'll worship you. I'm not going to hell. I'm redeemed. I'm blood purchased. I'll worship you. And God, I'm going to recast my vision. I'm going to recast my vision. And I'm not going to depend on my job or the government. I'm going to depend on you. How many of you this morning who know Jesus Christ as Savior would raise your hand and say, Dwayne, that is my desire. I want to worship Him and I want to depend on Him. Would you raise your hand? Amen. God, thank you. Amen. Hands everywhere up. God bless each one of you. We're going to pray in just a moment and ask God to grant that. Father, in Jesus' name, I thank you for the honesty of the people today who have raised their hands. Father, our desire, our passion, Lord, we want to honor you, but all this stuff gets in the way and distracts from what you called us to. So, Father, our first cry of dependence is that you'll help us to worship you in authenticity. Just thanking you for who you are, not all the things you've done, but just who you are. So, Father, in Jesus' name, for myself and these who raised their hands this morning, I just want to cry out and help and say, God, 
Help us to worship you. And this wonderful land of plenty that you have placed us. A land, Father, that cries out, we don't need you. We know that's a lie. Father, we cry out to depend on you. Now, your head bowed and your eyes closed still. This week, we talked a whole lot about Jesus, about making a commitment to him. Perhaps you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. And the Bible is so clear. I said it over and over again. Heaven's not for good people. It's for forgiven people. And hell is not for bad people. It's for unforgiven people. And I, told, I spoke today of a God who loves, a God who sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins. And this week, over and over again, I asked people, if you are interested in making a commitment to Jesus Christ, to become a follower, a believer of His, and the process become a member of the family of God into relationship with God. With every head bowed and eye closed, I ask you to raise your hand. Dwayne, I am not a believer today, but I would like to make a commitment to Him today. Is there anyone today? Any hands? I didn't see any. Brother Brent's going to be standing down front, though. And if you're here today, and, you, and, you, and you, I hope you did business right there with God, but if you'd like to do an, be an authentic worshiper and depender, maybe you want to come to the altar and pray. That's cool, but we did business right there. But if you're here today, I had a guy grab me after one of the groups and say, look, I did not raise my hand, but can I talk with you? Brother Brent's waiting down front just for that reason. I want to be a God follower today. I want to know how I can call God Father. And we'll be glad to take God's Word and show you how that can happen. Father, in Jesus' name, we come to you right now. And we are so grateful that you are our God. Praise you for that. And that, Father, yes, you bring us to court. But the challenge issued, the challenge issued is that we would worship you and that we would lean and depend on you. We cry out, Father, for that. If there's a brother or sister here, who need special prayer, Father, we encourage them to come that we may pray for them. If there's a friend here today who doesn't know you personally, we would like, Father, to invite them to come. And I know they can only come if you draw them. And God, if you're drawing them, let nothing keep them in their seat today. We love you, Jesus. And we pray this in your precious name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet, please? Brother Brent's going to be standing down front. I want you to just bow your heads right there. Try not to move if you have to, if you know you absolutely have to. Very sacred time right now. It's our time of invitation. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Brother Dave's going to sing a song for us. If you need to come pray, we'll invite you to do that. If you need to talk about Jesus, Brother Brent, ways to receive you right now.